This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Book of Mark, chapter 1. Now I know Mark is an interesting book to come out of when we're talking about the birth of Jesus the Christ, because Mark really doesn't deal with that uh, aspect. But there is a verse in here that I think is a good launching point uh, for us. All right. Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 14 through 15. It says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying... The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Now, we're talking about the birth of Jesus the Christ. And I don't know what you think about when you think about the birth of Jesus, but this is what I end up thinking about. I end up thinking about the time is fulfilled, believe the gospel. And so I've subtitled this teaching, the time is fulfilled, because central to understanding the birth is the gospel. Amen. See, because the birth sets the way for this time to come. And when the time comes, Jesus steps into the ministry, says, repent and believe the gospel. So central to understanding the birth is the gospel. Now I want to make a, a disclaimer as we go into this right now. I want, you, I want to let you know I enjoy Christmas. It is one of my favorite seasons. I enjoy the cookies. I enjoy the decorations. I enjoy the lights. I get a kick out of the Christmas trees. I don't have any issue with Rudolph. I don't have any issue with Frosty the Snowman, even the little drummer boy. I don't have any issue with that at all. I enjoy the season. Okay? Now, I want to tell you about one, one year. You know, we're getting some things together. You have to have everything in its proper place. But one year, we're getting things together, getting some financial things together. And one year, we made a decision. We were not going to buy Christmas gifts. Uh, amen. There you go right there. That's exactly what happened. So, when you show up... And they have gifts for you, but you don't have gifts for them. You get treated like you committed the unpardonable sin. But you know, we were trying to learn something. We were trying to work on some things. We thought some things were more important than than, than being under the burden of being in debt behind the Christmas season. But it's one of my favorite seasons. But I want you to make sure. I want to make sure you understand this about Christmas because we get. I say we, I mean the church, people associated with the church, we get downright feisty when somebody tries to mess with Christmas. But I want you to understand this about Christmas. Uh, again, when you look up the history of Christmas, there's a lot of stuff I'm not going into detail. But the bottom line is that you have to understand that Christmas really did come about out of the exuberance of a Roman emperor called Constantine. Got converted to Christianity, and he, had, he was zealous for Christianity. And he's an emperor. And so in all honesty, in his exuberance, what, ha- what happened was that he pretty much forced a Christian spin on a pagan festival. 
Oh, I know, I know. I'm messing with your religion right now. It's because Christmas to our, in our minds is holy. Don't mess with Christmas like that. But I, we have to keep it in perspective, okay? And so in all honesty, a lot of the things that we do, a lot of the things that are surrounding Christmas, they don't come out the Bible. Okay, and, and there's nothing wrong with festivities. You know, Fourth of July is not in the Bible. But it's okay to celebrate. It's, it's all right. It, it, I'm not trying to put any kind of condemnation on you. It is good to celebrate the birth. But I want you to understand, the mistletoe is neither here nor there. Amen. The Christmas tree is neither here nor there. The lights, they're neither here nor there because they're not sacred. Amen. To have or not have a Christmas tree is of no consequence. It really doesn't mean. Paul says in one place, and we're not going to go there, but, but he, tells to the, he talks to the Corinthian church about uh, certain things. One of the things he talks to them about is meat offered to idols. And he said, you know what? Meat is nothing. Meat doesn't con- commend us to God. Whether we eat, we're not any closer to God. Whether we don't eat, we're not any closer to God. It is nothing, but some people don't have that understanding. You know, Christmas trees, they're nothing. You know, because some people, again, we get kind of off, off. And we're like, that's a pagan thing. But in all, it's nothing. It, it does not push you away from God because you celebrate Christmas like other people celebrate Christmas. Because you have a Christmas tree, because you have lights, because you go out there and you do all the decorating and you have all the stuff that goes on and all the gifts, it is neither here nor there. It's not sacred. So if you don't buy gifts one year, you have not violated the law of God. God's not mad at you. Everybody else is, but God's not mad at you. Whether or not you put up a Christmas tree, it is nothing. It is no consequence. Don't let anybody put you in condemnation because you choose to do one thing or the other at Christmas time. Don't let a Christian put you in condemnation. You said happy holidays. You didn't say Christmas. You know, it is not that crucial. But what is sacred? See, those things aren't sacred, but the birth of a Savior is. But the birth of a Savior is. And it is all right to celebrate the birth of the Savior. It is worth celebrating. Again, we're not going to get into the debate of when Jesus was born, you know, and we'll get into this. We'll talk about this. But I think it's very interesting that God didn't put a date on when Jesus was born. Amen. We'll talk about it. But God was going somewhere and he didn't want us to stop here. So, central to understanding the birth of Jesus the Christ is the gospel. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. We'll get there, but I want you to look at Genesis chapter 4 right now. But I want you to understand this about God. Okay? Again, our key verse says, And after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying, The time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. What I want you to understand, I want you to focus on the time is fulfilled. God is a God who works in time. He works in the fullness of time. And when it comes to the gospel, the gospel came in the fullness of time. Now, when it comes to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel, <clears throat> I want you to understand with the gospel, and we do understand, has anybody, has anybody been redeemed in this place. We understand that with the gospel comes 
the oppressed no longer being oppressed any longer. They go free. With the gospel, those who are brokenhearted, they get healed. With the gospel, yokes are broken. Amen. Glory to God. With the gospel, those who have been bound are released from the bondage. See, that is the testimony of those that are redeemed. Some of us knew bondage. Some of us knew the yoke. Some of us knew the broken hearts. Some of us knew the issues of life, but we were redeemed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel brings freedom. The gospel brings liberty. But for the gospel to come, it had to start somewhere. It had to start somewhere. And I, I want to say this. I don't truly believe the gospel started at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's, if it's a place you can hang on to, hang on to it. Well, let's look at it as the start of the gospel. Because again, I think God was doing a lot of things before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is a very important milestone in the bringing in of the gospel. And I find it interesting that when God does bring in the Christ into the world, it's very humble. Again, as we see it, we read the scriptures, but in all honesty, it's not a big shebang. He doesn't do something so spectacular that the whole world has to pay attention to it. I just find that, that that's just so interesting. Again, God is doing it, and where it starts, it, it, it just has humble beginnings. And then, as far as God working in the fullness of time, you know what? God wasn't in a hurry. What he did is he put prophecies in place before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he put the prophecies in place and you search the scriptures, you find out that when they prophesied, they spoke of a time to come. That was not the present time at which they spoke. And so God is at this, and this is a momentous occasion, at this momentous occasion, God is taking his time and making sure everything is right. Everything is in its proper place. All the prophecies had to be in place before the birth took place. But the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ marked the ushering in to the world the redemption and the redeemer of mankind. Again, I find it amazing that God didn't do it with a big shebang, but he did it. I'm sorry, that's reason to celebrate because he did it. And what he did at that point was bring into the world redemption and the redeemer of mankind. This is important to God. This is momentous to God. It is so momentous to God. I want to put your focus on two things. One, it is so momentous to God that the time had to be right. Amen. The time had to be right. It's so momentous to God that the time had to be right. And secondly, it is so momentous to God, God personally has his hands on the ushering in of the Son. Yeah, and we're going to go over some scriptures. We're going to read some scriptures. But I want you to pay attention to those things because those things are incredible to me. That, that again, there's some things that, you know, we get in a hurry for and we can't wait to get it. God was in a hurry for it, but he could wait. And it is so important to him, he's going to have a personal touch on this occasion. 
Now, you're in Genesis chapter 4. Now, I want you to understand again, because understanding the birth of Christ, at the center of it is the gospel. It's very important. Please pay attention to this. The question is, why the gospel? Why the gospel? Why the good news? Why is it so important to God? Well, again, I know I'm in church, and a lot of you know, but some people don't know, and so I'll go through it and entertain me as I go through this. But the gospel is important to God because of sin. Now, many of us are familiar with Adam being the first man, Adam being the first one in the transgression. Now, when Adam sinned, this is very interesting, you have to understand this about sin. Sin goes further than the point of that single act of sin. It did in Adam's day, it does in your day. You think you commit the sentence between you and a consenting adult, but it goes further than that act. Mm. Okay? In Adam's case, and in your case, it reaches to his children. And I say it reaches to, it, it affected us. We're all of Adam's children. And, and it's in us, it's in our DNA. But the thing about it, let's not even go this far, let's look at his immediate son. Cain and Abel. Now, Cain didn't commit the same transgression, but the sin did pass on to him. And it did affect him. And it affected him to the extent of, you know, and I, I know how we do, we like to measure sin. Because Adam ate something he wasn't supposed to eat, but Cain committed murder. But it's all sin. And because of Adam's act, his son was impacted. My goodness, you're not hearing me. You're not understanding this. See, we take, we take sin too lightly. Because sin has an ongoing impact, ongoing effect. And when we commit it, you know, oh, it's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. But in Genesis chapter 4, look at verse number 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. I'm sorry, this gets me. Cain and Abel are brothers. And it's not like you're dealing with a stranger. You're dealing with a brother. Somebody you grew up with. Somebody you broke bread with. Somebody you shared intimate information with. Wow. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, What hast thou done? Check this out. God said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Cain committed murder. And his sin and the consequence of his sin is the blood of Abel. And so Cain's sin and the consequence of Cain's sin reaches unto God. We're talking about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about it being momentous to God. 
Why? Because of the gospel. And why the gospel? Because of sin. And sin goes further than your act of sin. In Adam's case, it reached his son, and his son committed an act of sin, and we get a revelation about what our sin does. Our sin results in that which cries out to God. Cain, I don't know what he did with the body. And I don't know if they had any police at that time. No detectives on his case. He thought he was through with it. But God said, no. I hear the result of your sin. And I believe this. I don't believe God was looking to hear from the result of your sin. You, you don't understand. There's some things that you see that you wish you had never seen. You weren't looking for it. It came to you. And after you see it, you wish you never... God was not looking to hear about your sin. And so you know what it does when that sin cries out to God? It irritates Him. He is not happy to hear about it. It is like whatever it is that irritates you. Is there a sound that just gets on your last nerves that you want to hit somebody if they initiate it? God is irritated by the cry of the blood that results from sin. The blood... The sin and the results of our sin that irritates God, it cries out for a final act. It cries out for justice. Listen to me, people. It cries out for justice. Have you ever been done wrong? And you know what you want after you've done wrong? You want justice. And so your sin and the results of your sin cry out to God for a final act. I want this thing ended so it can never happen again. It cries out to God for justice. And you know what it cries out to God for? It's a word we use in the church. It's called wrath. It cries out to God for wrath. See, so while sin is not dealt with, God is being irritated and is being irritated to the point of being moved to wrath. Look at this in Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. Let me tell you, it is a good thing to be redeemed. And we can't be redeemed without a redeemer. Amen. Revelation chapter 6. Verse number. <laughs> Let's start at verse 14. Now, this is my interpretation of this. This is when the king is coming. And the king comes, and you know what he doesn't have at this time? He doesn't have salvation in his hands. He is coming as the judge and as the king. He's going to set everything in order. And here's my interpretation of this. Here's the sound of the coming of the king. He hadn't arrived yet, but the sound of his coming is imminent. People can hear it. 
So in verse 14, it says, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, I'm sorry, but this, this gets me. I'm sorry, but especially when we talk about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. In all honesty, you know what he's saying? Everybody. All people in all places. The high and the low. He's talking about everybody here. Okay? And the kings of the earth. And the great man. And the rich man. And the chief captains. And the mighty man. And every bond man. See, he went from kings, captains, to bond people. And every free man. So not only the bond, but also anybody else who's free. Everybody. They hid themselves. In the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. I'm telling you, at the sound of his coming. They're like, what in the world is happening? We need to hide. And said to the mountains, I'm sorry, but let's go back to our key verse. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. He's talking about these people who had a chance to repent but didn't. Who had a chance to believe the gospel but they didn't. All peoples had a chance. But at the sound of his coming, those who had a chance but refused to repent, they're going to be saying, hide me. Verse 15 again. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bond man and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of of the land. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. You, you see, because right now, sin is crying out to God. And it's crying out to God for a final act. And that final act is called wrath. And wrath is so hot that those who hear the sound of His coming, who have rejected the gospel, are going to say, you know what, let's hide, but there's no place to hide, so rocks, mountains, fall on us. Verse 16 again, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Wow. You don't want God to pour out justice before the time is fulfilled. Because here's wrath. Wrath is the permanent attitude of a holy and righteous and just God towards sin. Hear me out now. Understand this. It is the permanent attitude of a holy. That's who our God is. He's holy. He's righteous. And he's just. But wrath is the permanent attitude. Now, you're not hearing me. You don't understand me. It is the permanent attitude. There is no repentance after wrath is poured out. At his wrath, there is no return. The verdict is final and eternal. Now, please stay with me. Please don't be missing this at all. Please don't miss this. The sin and the results of your sin cry out to God and it cries out for justice, which is wrath, which is his final verdict, his permanent attitude towards sin. At his wrath, there's no return. The verdict is final and eternal. 
But turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 18. This is our God. I'm telling you, you've got to love our God. (laughs) Because God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I'm sorry, but this is wonderful to me. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You know, those people that we've cut off, He takes no pleasure in them being cut off. He desires for them to turn. See, that's why the blood irritates. That's why when the sin and the result of your sin cries out to God, it irritates God. Because God doesn't want to pour out wrath. What a God. Ezekiel chapter 18. Look at verse 23. Are you in Ezekiel 18? I want you to see this. If you can find Proverbs, you can find Isaiah, you can find Jeremiah, you can find Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18. You need to know about your God. You need to know the God that you serve. He is a good God. He's a great God. He's a merciful God. He's a God that has grace and wants to extend it. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. This is God. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? That's a rhetorical question. He says, you think of me that way? That I get pleasure out of the wicked dying in their wickedness? Have I any pleasure? Do you hear, do you hear God say? He says, I get no pleasure out of that whatsoever. That does not please me. I, I, I don't get any kind of kick out of that whatsoever. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, said the Lord God. And not, here's my pleasure, that he should return from his ways and live. Glory to God. I'm sorry. This, this is, uh, maybe you were born again from the, from the womb and you weren't. But while you were yet a sinner, he loved you. While other people saw how hopeless you were, he desired you. While other people said, there is no hope for you, God said, no, 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 no. That's not how I operate. Because if there is no hope, all I can do is pour out wrath. But I don't want to pour out wrath. I'm sorry. To me, this is one of those places where I say, if I'm sinning, I'm going to stop. Now, and I'm not stopping because he's coming with his wrath. I'm stopping because he loves me so much that he's holding back wrath from me that I'm not cut off. See, it's not his meanness, it's his goodness that draws men to repentance. See, while there's breath in you, there's hope through God and the gospel. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, said the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? Jump down to verse 27. Again... When the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness that he hath committed and doeth that which is lawful and right, here's God's verdict. He shall save his soul alive. That's what God wants. That's where God gets his pleasure. He takes no pleasure in wrath. He takes no pleasure in that whatsoever. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. His pleasure is when the wicked turn. See, time is precious. Time is valuable. God has held back his wrath to give time for the wicked to turn. 
And how does it get them to turn? Through the gospel. And so what God did in the time between man's sin and the time to come, I'll put it that way, is he set up a sacrificial system. And the sacrificial system said that I will accept for now the blood of bulls and the blood of goats to keep my wrath back. But I want you to see this in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. I I could go in the New Testament for it, but I love it how it's written in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 1. So he set up that sacrificial system in the wilderness and it covered them. But I want you to know, it still didn't please God. Because it's not sufficient. See, the blood of bulls and goats could not cut it. Isaiah chapter 1. We're talking about the birth. Of Jesus the Christ. You see, I'm telling you, central to understanding the birth is the gospel. And if we're going to understand the gospel, we need to understand why the gospel is so important to God. You see, here's the thing. God does love you more than you love yourself. You don't know the danger you're headed toward, but He knows. And He wants you to turn from that danger. He says, I know at the end of this danger is my wrath, and I don't want to pour out my wrath against you. I didn't create you for that. And so he set up a system of blood, the blood of bulls and goats, the sacrificial system in the wilderness. But here's God's attitude about that. Verse 11, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? Now, this is God talking. He's talking like us here. I'm full. I've had enough of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. Uh, do you see that? He set up the system whereby they might be maintained. See, 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 God, the time has to be right. God does not want to pour out his wrath and the blood of bulls and goats won't cut it. But he is not in so much of a hurry that he's moving before the time is right. And so he's putting up with for a time. The blood of bulls, the blood of goats, but they don't please them. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I know I'm running you through the scripture, but I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 10. So the blood of bulls and goats just can't cut it. It's like a band aid for a long and a deep wound. Hebrews chapter 10. Wow. And you know why? Because after they gave the sacrifice, they had to come back again to give another sacrifice because the sacrifice was only so sufficient. It covered them, but it didn't do what it needed to do to them. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. It, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. That's why he wasn't pleased with that. That's why I couldn't cut it. Because as much as it covered them, they were not done with sin. They were still bound. They were still in bondage. Glory to God. But there's a gospel. Where them who are bound go free. And the gospel is not in 
the blood of bulls and goats, it points the way to the gospel. So the blood of bulls and goats won't do it. The blood of Abel cried out to God and irritated God. But there's a special and unique blood that God has ordained to speak. It's the blood of Jesus the Christ that speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. Amen. I'm sorry. This is, again, to me, this is wonderful. This is excellent. See, we're talking about the birth of Christ, but it's for a purpose. See, God is, doesn't want to pour out his wrath, but our sin and the results of our sin are crying out to God, saying, you've got to do justice. But there's a blood that doesn't irritate God. I'm sorry. That's, that's wonderful to me. There's a blood that cries out to God and it cries out so loud that it overwhelms the cries of our sin. You're in Hebrews, turn to chapter 12. Amen. This is why God, this is why it's momentous to God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. Well, Let's start at verse 22, and we'll read in verse 24. But you are coming to Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable company of angels. I'm sorry, I've got to say it this way. Here's the difference. As we talk about the blood of bulls and goats, we're now on this side of the blood that speaks of better things. And so when he says you, he's talking about you on this side of the birth, on this side of his life, on this side of his death. That's us here. But we have come into Mount Zion and into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. We're talking about the birth of Christ, which are written in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See, whereas that blood of Abel, which represents our sin and the results of our sin, cries out to God and irritates God, this, God, this blood pleases. This blood pleases God. It is by that blood, the blood of Jesus the Christ, that the wrath of God is removed from the sinner who turns. And I know you don't get excited, but God gets excited at this. That's my God. He's excited that I was a sinner, but now have obeyed from the heart the gospel that was delivered to me. And he delights that there is another one taken off my wrath list. See, it pleases God. See, that's why the blood irritates him, because it cries out for wrath, but the blood of Christ. It says, no, you don't have to pour out wrath on this one. It is by the blood that the wrath of God, by the blood of the Lord Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb without sin, that the wrath of God is removed from the sinner who turns. Sometimes it's good to remember. Because I don't subscribe to that I'm a sinner any longer. I'm not a sinner any longer. The blood has been applied. Hallelujah. Glory to the name of the living God. The blood has been... You know, and this is my imagination. This is just me. This is my imagination. I believe it only took one drop. 
It only took one drop of that blood, of that great blood. That's all He needed to relieve us of our sin, to appease the wrath of God. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. See, it's by that blood that the wrath of God is removed. But before that can take place, a body had to be prepared. Amen. I, I get goosebumps from this. I don't know about you, but this, this excites me. To see how good my God is. And how He had a plan. And this is a very important part in this plan. A body had to be prepared. Man, I just love, I love Hebrews, I really do. So you'll have to indulge me because I'm going to go over, I'm going to start at verse number one and read to verse number five. For the law, that's where God ordained the sacrifices. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never. With those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Uh, this is at the birth, people. When he came, how did he come into the world? He came through a womb. And he came through a womb for the purpose of a blood that pleases God and removes his wrath. (laughs) Glory to God. Wow. Look at verse number 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, Set down on the right hand of God. See, this pleases God. (laughs) Glory to God in the highest. This pleases God. Because I am, I'm full. I'm full of all of the sacrifices. I'm full of all of the blood of the bulls and of the goats. I've had enough. I want that one blood that's offered forever so that my son can sit down. So before this could take place, a body had to be prepared. A baby would have to be born. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Do you see where it fits in now? Isaiah chapter 9. Tell you, it's reason to celebrate his birth, but there's something better coming. Isaiah chapter 9. But it couldn't come unless he was first born. See, a body was prepared, which means a baby had to be born. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us. Do you see what, you understand why now? Unto us. Unto us. This is for us. This is for our benefit. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. 
And His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I just want you to do that last part. The zeal of the Lord of hosts that performed it. It's not by the will of man, but it's by the will of God. Who does not delight in pouring out wrath, who takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but his zeal says, I want to save. I want to heal. I want to deliver. I want to appoint people for everlasting life and not for wrath. But before this, a child had to be born. So you see, it is so momentous to God that the time had to be right. And God was going to personally put his hands on this work, on the bringing in of his son. Now let's look at this in Matthew chapter 1. I don't know how far we're going to get in this, but we'll get where we can. I, I, we just want to read a little and take from it and see how God put his hands on this. Matthew chapter 1. Start in Matthew chapter 1. Let's just start reading in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother was, his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, now I want to stop right there. And again, these things you've heard, maybe you have heard, maybe you haven't. But here's what I love about this. The birth of our Savior was totally legitimate. God is not going to bring in His Son into this world by illegitimate means. You see, because I want you to understand, Mary was a virgin in every sense of the word. <laughs> you know, virgin can mean young girl, can mean one who's never had sex before. Now, she was a young girl, and I want you to understand this, and I think we've, we've mentioned this before, but she was a teenager. You know, her exact age, we don't necessarily know, but let's say she's around the age of 15. She's a young girl. And again, I, you know, this, this just amazes me, because at that age, she could carry this weight. Now, that's somebody to be paid attention to. Hmm. But she's a young girl, and only, not only that, it says before they came together. You know what before they came together means? Before they had sexual relations. I'm going to read this in Isaiah chapter 7. Okay? And you don't have to turn there. You, again, many of you have already heard it. But in Isaiah 7 and 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So, according to prophecy, a virgin would conceive and give birth. 
But again, I want you to see this. This is totally legitimate. She's a virgin in every sense of the word, but not without a husband. Glory to your name, God. We have no unwed mother being associated with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was a virgin who had never had sex, who had a husband. Amen. Glory to you. You know, if you've been coming on Sunday nights, you should understand. I believe ministration did a wonderful job in, 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 in giving to you the information about how the process of a spousal was different in the Jewish custom than in our day. But in some cases, it's not that different. Because don't you know that you can be married and not have sex? You've ever heard of people annulling, trying to annul a marriage? They claim that they never had sex, you know. The longer it goes, the harder it is, I'd imagine. But, but let, me, let me put it this way. We can all relate to this. In our marriage rites, marriage ceremonies, we've got a bride and a groom that come down. We've got somebody who officiates the marriage or the wedding ceremony. And then when they say, I do, they kiss. And from the time that they say I do and, the, and the, uh, whoever officiates say I now pronounce you man and wife, you know, from there to the honeymoon suite, I, I, I dare say they don't have sex. But they're still married nonetheless. Amen. So it is very possible to be married and not have sex. But this is so wonderful about the Jewish tradition of a spouse and betrothal that at the time when they are espoused and betrothed, that's her husband. That's his wife. Now, in their ceremony, when he takes her in, they're supposed to have sex, and then that's when they... But that does not mean that they were not man and wife before the sex took place. Well, again, you're not going to get God on the details. <laughs> He's going to make sure it is legitimate through and through. See, this is important to God. You're not going to play legal games with God. He's going to get you every time. And hallelujah, glory to your name. I understand what this means. <laughs> because when we say stuff like this, people feel condemned because they are or have been unwed mothers. And I want to, I want to let you know, I'm not trying to be funny, you know, because when you say this, that's not the standard of God. It is just plain not the standard of God. And people will hear that and say, see how they condemn in that place? Come on now. Because it's not the standard. What does... See, because people will say that and think that they're not being nice. What does nice have to do with the standard? What does emotion at all have to do with the standard? It is either the standard or it is not. But I will have you know this. There are many ways to miss the standard. And every one of us in here have missed the standard. Now, have I condemned you all because I told you you missed the standard? No. But a child was born because we all missed the standard. Hmm. We celebrate his birth. <laughs> and we celebrate his birth because God celebrated his birth. Because our missing the standard cried out to God. But there's going to come a blood that pleases God. Through this child. You know, sometimes we need to get we need to get God's attitude. See, God wasn't in love with having a baby. 
Say amen. Just say amen. He wasn't in love with having a baby. I just want a baby. No, he said there's purpose at the end of this baby. And I am going to entreat this child for the purpose that is to come. And he's going to accomplish it. And the purpose is not in the baby. The purpose is in the man. Now, we try to keep our children babies, but there's purpose. You've got to let the babies go and raise them for the purpose of God. Hmm. Again, I love it. Our key verse, the time is fulfilled. He wasn't in love with having a baby. Now, again, back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And look at the terminology in verse 19. Then Joseph, her who? I'm sorry, did I say something that contradicts the scriptures? No, that was her husband. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. See, because God is going to have his hands on this. He says, I know what I need to do. And you know, you know when the angels come? When God sends them. That's very important. The angels come when God sends them. So God is paying very particular attention to this. And he says, angels, I need you to be sent. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy who? It's all, God runs a legitimate operation. <laughs> I love it. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Again, this gets me. This really does get me of the Holy Ghost. This is the power of God. Wow, that, that touches the womb. Wow. And, verse 21, she, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now, I want you to understand, again, this is a legitimate operation from God. Here's one reason we need to correct ourselves, especially in our marriages. God was not going to do this without the consent of the man. You see, I don't get amens. I, I just don't get amens. I just, you know, I, I think people are going to stand up, shout, and run around the church, and they just don't at those spots. I must just miss it. See, because we in our minds, we think we can go off and do anything half-cocked without our husband's approval. And we call it spiritual and we're doing it in the name of God, but we have a spiritual husband who is born again believer, but yet God can't speak to him. No, maybe God is speaking to him and he's not speaking to you like you think he is. See, because it's the womb of Mary that's going to bring forth the son. So in all honesty, Joseph, we don't need you. But Joseph had to be down with it. He had to be in agreement with it. Ah, oh, y'all aren't hearing me. I know it's not family life. But we see what is acceptable before God through the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And I love it because he's not putting the son into the hands of disobedient 
believers. To hard-headed believers. You know what I think of when I see this? I think they're probably good church members. Because obedient Christians, obedient believers make good church members. No, I'm sorry. Again, you You see, you're rebuked when you do that which is wrong. You're corrected when you do that which is wrong. People hop from church to church because they do what is wrong. It's always the church's fault. It's never them. No, it is them. And God can't trust them with anything. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. Verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Again, I like how Minister Hazel said, don't sleep on Joseph. Here I am, supposed to be marrying this holy virgin. And here she is, pregnant, and I haven't touched her. And if nothing else, everybody's wondering, man, how she gets pregnant so quick, Joseph? He had to carry that shame. And had to be her protector through it all. And he had no issue with it because he was a servant of the living God. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, God handpicked Mary and Joseph. Handpicked them. People he could trust with this important mission. Because again, we'll, we'll get to it, but this is so, this is so important. This is so Interesting to me because it's so important to God. He's going to put his own hands on it, but he still needs people who obey. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he. I'm sorry. Let me let me say that. And he. Not just she. And he. Called his name. Jesus. There's no divided home. Mary isn't saying, I heard God say he's Jesus and, and Joseph's not over. No, no, he's bar, he's bar Joseph. They're, they're not playing that game. They both are able to hear from God and obey his word and they are united front in the home. That's how you raise children. That's how you raise children who are going to be on purpose. See, when mom and daddy are arguing about how we deal with a child, you're missing purpose. Oh, don't, don't get me started. Oh, please don't get me started. See, because what we do is we want to have our way and we want to be found right. And so we forget about the purpose of the children. And so we will argue one with another instead of one saying, I will take the lesser role. Help me out now. Uh, help me out now because I, I, God is in your home God is witness between you and the wife of your youth God is witness between you and the husband who he is trying to minister to but you're in the way you've heard about wives submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord 
but you keep wanting to do things your way. And listen, your child will bring you to shame because you were so interested in being found right and more knowledgeable than your husband than to take on the role that God ordained. And, and trust me, you will not prove God to be a lie. You play that role even after hearing this. Your children, in the time to come, the time will be fulfilled for your children and they will bring back to you what you gave them. And you will know that God spoke. And God was telling you from the get-go, get it together now. We're talking about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading. Chapter 2. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. How many wise men? It does not say. Again, I enjoy the season. All right, we three kings of the Orient, you go ahead and sing the song. But I know, first of all, it didn't say kings. Second of all, it didn't say three. See, we've got to have everything in proper perspective, okay? You've got to know what's fiction. You know, we were sitting up there watching the X-Men movie in my mother's house. She's like, that's all fiction. I said, yeah, mama, that's all straight up fiction. We know it's make-believe, and that's what keeps us straight. This is, why, this is why I find it funny when, when people in the church get all bent out of shape about Christmas. I'm like, come on. A lot of this stuff is fiction. What's not is the birth of the Savior. And even if anybody denies it, it's still real to me. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. You know what the east means? It didn't mean east Israel. <laughs> it means regions that were east saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Okay. Let me stop right there. You've got to consider this. Who are these wise men? And now, they are not of Jewish descent. <laughs> No doubt these are learned men. What we would call learned men. Learned in the things that we would associate with science. No doubt, right? Learned in things such as astrology. And in my mind, my mind just carries well up there into astrology. Chances are they're probably into chemistry and biology. And things such like. And now again, there are many, many different ideas of who these wise men were, where they came from, if they were associated with religion or not. And all honesty, I'll be honest with you, science has become a religion. And so whether or not they're religious people or not, they still are learning the sciences. And it makes you wonder. The question is, what are scientists doing searching for this child? These aren't the people with the books, the holy oracles given to the nation of Israel. These are men learned in science, and they're searching for this child. Again, this is another reason why I say it's not a big shebang where everybody's coming to celebrate, all the world is coming. No, God is doing it so discreetly. 
He's born in such humility that they had to search. But they were searching. These were scientists that were searching. Why were they searching? We have the answer in verse number two. They say, we have seen a star. In other words, nature, when studied, spoke of the coming of this child and this Savior. I'm sorry. Nature spoke of the birth of this Savior. Turn to Romans chapter 8. The moon and the stars aligned to tell the story of the birth of this king. Romans chapter 8. Verse number 19. Look at this. For the earnest expectation of the creature. When we say the creature, I'm sorry. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity. You know what the creature is? The creature is the creation. It is the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the rivers, the mountains, the trees. That's the creature. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Do you hear that? Creation wants freedom. Creation is listening for the gospel because they know at the end of the gospel, I'm free. So all creation is lining up saying, whoa, here comes the body that has been prepared that will eventually bring forth the blood that will usher in the gospel that will make the manifestation of the sons of God possible and we will be released. How amazing. How amazing. Mm. Turn to Psalms chapter 19. This is, I, I love this verse. Psalms 19. See, it's all about the gospel. It really is. Psalms 19. You got scientists who aren't looking at the scriptures. They're looking at the stars. And the stars proclaim... Here comes the king. They say we came to worship him. Not just to see the baby. We came to worship him. Look, Psalms 19 and 1. Here's all you need to know. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. See, where's the glory of God? Look to the heavens. It's there. Hallelujah. I'm sorry. This is outstanding. The heavens actually declare His glory. If you would just study the heavens, you'll find God. You'll find His glory. When you look to the firmament and study that, you see, because, you know, in all honesty, I believe scientists are being funny nowadays. Because at the end of every scientific study, there's one question. Where did this come from? How was it put together like this? 
And then when they find the next piece, then they come, well, how did this piece get in place? And at the end of it all, there must be God. How amazing that the whole universe aligns to proclaim His birth. What child is this? He is the one God has been waiting to bring into the earth. He's the one God has been waiting for. Wow, I'm sorry. This is, you know, we get married. We like to change up our vows and add things to our vows. You're the one I've been waiting for. Nah, nah. You, you don't know waiting for until God has waited for the Lamb. Slain from the foundation of this earth to be ushered into this world. This is the child God has been waiting for. Whose blood is going to please him. And we'll end with this Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35. What child is this? What child is this? I want to tell you what child this is. Wow. Isaiah 35. Let's read verse 3 and 4. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. See, see, we were the weak hands. We were the feeble knees. Held under sin. No strength in ourselves. So strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. You didn't read that like I read it, did you? God says, I'm coming myself. He says, all you weak, all you without strength, all you feeble knees, all you are lost, don't be afraid. I'm coming. And I'm going to save you. That's this child. He is God. He is in the flesh. And he came to save us. Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.